You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. Woe to you, O Earth and Sea. Today we will be discussing The Number of the Beast, the third studio album by Iron Maiden. It was produced by Martin Birch and released on March 22nd, 1982 in the U.S. by Harvest and Capitol Records. The album was their first to feature vocalist Bruce Dickinson and their last with drummer Clive Burr. It was the band's first album to reach the top 40 of the Billboard 200, and it eventually went platinum in the U.S. in 1986. And now, a reflection of my warped mind staring back at me is our guest, the host of two podcasts, We Dig Music and Free With This Month's Issue, Ian Clark. Welcome to the show, Ian. How's it going, Derek? It's going well. I'm... uh pretty i'm pretty pleased to be doing this record it's one that had kind of fallen off my radar i've always considered this to be my favorite iron maiden record and it wasn't until we were talking about which albums we wanted to do that this came up and it was like yeah so it's it's been a lot of fun revisiting this one because this is definitely a a high school record for me yeah yeah uh, same here really so how's uh how's everything going over there in the uk for you it's all right yeah yeah i mean I, i've recently moved house so i now live near some woods which means that for my government allotted exercise i can leave the house and walk somewhere pleasant previously i lived in the center of a city so that would have been less fun uh yeah yeah so tell me how did this album enter your life right this would have been um probably gcse year of school so i would have been about like 15 16 and there were a few of us all getting into whole like the whole rock and metal thing i think we all started on like a concert of guns and roses that was broadcast on tv and we were like oh my god oh my god he's he swore he swore it was real and then a friend of mine who was a little bit more educated was like here's a tape listen to this tape and it was was number of the beast and i was like jesus this is amazing this is really cool and then we watched loads of iron maiden live stuff um, we were all playing oh this is this this makes me a massive nerd but we were all playing warhammer at this point in time we got our little miniatures like painted up armies and stuff like that and we used to play that and listen to iron maiden like massive nerds <laughs> yeah i like to think that uh, that i was cool but i mean i knew i wasn't but um Anyway, yeah. So this album, this album came out when I was probably ten years old. So I didn't hear this one till a little bit later. So I yeah, yeah, like I was four when this came out. So ah, yeah, okay, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I kind of I was getting that with the Warhammer, I think. So yeah, um, I listened to some metal. I first started getting into some metal around 1984. Uh, with you know Van Halen and Def Leppard and Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, a couple other things, yeah. and I I had heard of Iron Maiden at this point, but I don't remember actually hearing Iron Maiden until a little bit later, probably about eighty six or eighty seven, uh, when I really devoted myself to metal at that point. Because I still at that point eighty four, I would have been twelve, and I was still listening to just a lot of different stuff, and it was about eighty six, eighty seven that I decided to go full on metalhead, and yeah. I'm pretty sure that's when. I heard this one. So I remember my sister had bought me the cassette tape of Killers, but I didn't like that guy's voice. So I took it back and I got this one. Yeah, yeah. I, Paul Diano was very, uh, is quite marmite isn't he? His voice. Like you either love it or you hate it. Yeah. And it was at this point, I liked Bruce Dickinson's voice because I was, I liked this and I liked, I didn't really get into the gruff voice till later. So I appreciate those first two records now. 
but at the time I was more I was more about what they were doing after the fact. So basically yeah. this peace of mind those are those were the two those are my two go-to when I'm in the mood for Iron Maiden that's what I listen to. Now I listen to more back then but this is what has um carried forth with me. I know a lot of people swear by Power Slave but these two are the ones that I that I enjoy. And so this one has long I've long considered this one to be my favorite. So that's going to lead us here to our track by track analysis side 1 song 1 Invaders. This just jumps right into the Bruce Dickinson era. This is his first album with the band, uh, replacing, as we said, Paul Diano. And uh, and I noticed that in retrospect, he sings with a bit of a bit more of a growl in this first song. Now he hits some of the high notes a little bit later on. The whole thing is is different, but not that different from the previous record, uh, because really the what marks the sound I think for Iron Maiden is the interplay between the bass and the guitar and just those galloping rhythms that they have. And that's really what has always defined their sound. And now they just had somebody who could achieve a little bit more vocally. This is just, it's a, it's a great opener. It's a great introduction to the Bruce Dickinson era. Uh, he does hit some, some of those high notes along the way, but I think he, he keeps it in a slightly lower register, at least at the beginning, uh, almost to comfort the older fans, it seems like. What do you think about this one? I agree with you there. I haven't thought about it in that context before, but yes, I, I think you're right. I think it is a, a just ease you into the air raid siren that is Bruce Dickinson kind of scenario because he doesn't really kick in his proper wails until the chorus, does he? So, I mean, obviously, it's about Vikings. It's metal staple, isn't it? You know. Yeah. <laughs> What's more metal than Vikings? Not much. <laughs> so that's it. That's the stall laid out. It's like. Boom, song about Vikings. Here it is. I like it. It's it's pretty badass. I like the incredibly cheesy backing vocals where they're all going, as well. I remember back in the day really enjoying that, and now I enjoy it in a slightly different context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a good, solid song right out of the gate. It lets you know that they're for real while still leaving some room for improvement. That brings us on to track two, Children of the Damned. And what are your thoughts here? See, this is, it's a bold one going into like a clean melodic song so early on into the album. It's usually like this is the kind of song that you usually find like, you know, a couple of songs into the B-side really, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it got that nice build. Dickinson's vocals, it's just like, oh, I, I'm a big fan of Children of the Dam. This is a good one. And I, I also think oddly placed. And having done this show for a while now, I find that normally you're going to find this song, maybe track three or four. 
and just to go from such a you know a big opener to pulling it back so quickly is was I think an odd decision, not necessarily a bad decision. This is still my favorite record by them. So it was just it felt odd in a way that I don't know if I would have been able to articulate that before I did the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's a brave move. I think that's that's what it is in my head. I think it's it's showing that they're comfortable in what they're doing. It's like, yep, we don't have to keep our foot on the gas the whole time. We can just dial it back and we can do it anytime we want. Second song on the album. We do not care. We're just badass enough to to get away with it, and and they did. Yeah, and it really showcases what Dickinson is able to do. So they didn't come right out of the gate with it. They waited till track two, you know, because you got to wait yes. a little bit. And you can really see. And this song really does build because it starts out really slow, and you can really hear the influence that they had on Queensryche in this song in particular. So you listen to this song, and then you listen to the first EP from Queensryche. And you get a lot of what they were doing just in this one song. Yeah. And I know they had other influences as well. So I'm not saying it's a, a carbon copy or anything, but that was one of the things that struck me listening this last week, at how much that reminded me of early Queensryche. And, you know, they're obviously an influence on them. So that's, I'm not, I'm not breaking any new ground with that, but, uh, and I was no, really surprised. I don't think you can be in a metal band without having a bit of a maiden influence. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it just it still kind of amazes me that this is their third record and it just felt like iron maiden has always been around but you know this is this is just their third one so that's kind of it's still a little bit weird for me but but yeah so this is a this is a really cool track and it really builds so it starts off in that slow spot but by the end of the uh by the end of the song it's it, it's going somewhere and he's he's really showing off his pipes in this one yeah it's like the the ending is super super dramatic isn't it it's i mean it's laid out like a horror film, isn't it? It builds and it builds and something happens and then it drops and then it builds and it drops and then it just crescendos magnificently like that. Yeah, I, I to me, it's, it is, you know, they're trying to story tell the whole film. And that's something uh, we can go ahead and talk about now going on to track three, The Prisoner. Now, one of the things that Iron Maiden is pretty well known for is that they tell story songs or they have story songs. They rarely have what you would just think of as a regular kind of rock and roll song. Uh, and it always feels like they're in this sort of third person. Uh, yes. even, if he's, even if he's singing I or me, it's, you know, he's singing about Icarus or Genghis Khan or the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Uh, and here we have The Prisoner, which was a cult TV show. And the only reason why I know that is because of this song. And that was one of the things I remember really enjoying about Iron Maiden at, you know, 15 or 16 is it felt like they had some secrets, but it also felt like they had a pretty wide knowledge base that you really weren't finding in a lot of metal records, especially at the time. So when they're doing old poems or a horror film, or in this case with The Prisoner, uh, an oddball TV show that was what maybe 10 episodes long or something if that yeah pretty much 
it's i think this drags out just a little bit at uh at five and a half minutes i mean it's it's a good tune i like the song and it's uh you know a fun way to go about you know just retelling the tv show they, you know they sample it right at the beginning yeah uh, and i think this is uh a, an iron maiden template right here essentially what do you think about it i, I think from a personal standpoint this is the the song that cement well between this and the title track is cemented my love of songs that start with a little bit of dialogue like i love a dialogue sample at the start of a song because it sets the mood perfectly you know if you've seen the film if you haven't like someone's voice saying something some spoken dialogue can really put you in the frame of mind ready for the rest of the song and i think it works perfectly in this and that's one thing you don't want to go too overboard i think having the two tracks here with it is cool but i just did a couple about a month ago uh, the holy bible from manic street preachers oh god there's so much on there yeah i yeah, like it, it but yeah it's a little bit much yeah and i think that just after about track five is like again really because that's when when you when you dole it out a little bit like here it's great and when it's every single track it's like eh. <laughs> yeah. a, a little bit of a crutch but yeah it, it is really cool and i think that the clip that they chose is just so perfect it just gives you it's offsetting and unsettling and uh and then it just kicks into this really cool tune so yeah it's a good one yeah Absolutely. That was one of my favorites on the album. That I've never seen them play it live either. I've seen them play most of the tracks on the album live, but not that one. Oh, really? Yeah. I've only, yeah, seen, yeah. Them, I only seen them one time in 1988. And I don't remember. I could probably leave this day, these days. I could go to what setlist.fm and find it, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, before, yeah, for the seventh son of a seventh son tour. Oh, that would, must have been amazing. It was really good. That was one of the roughest shows I have ever been to. And I've seen really? Slayer like five times. That yeah. was a crazy show. Uh, and they were good. They were so good. Yeah. I, I, I saw them uh, in the Blaze Bailey era, and that was not great. But every Ooh. other time I've seen them, phenomenal. Of all the singers, man, what, that guy, geez. <laughs> anyway. I, I, can't, I can't speak too ill of him because I'm from Tamworth. He's from Tamworth. You know, we're, we're, we're from the same music scene, but yeah, not a person to replace Bruce Dickinson, not by yeah. a long shot. No, no, no. The, the less of that said, the better. We'll go on to track four, 22 Acacia Avenue. What do you think about this one? Uh, this one, this one's questionable, isn't it? Like musically, it's great, but lyrically, it, if you look at it with a modern eye, it's a little bit questionable. Yeah, you know, it's a song about going and visiting a sex worker, and then eventually, the sex worker gets rescued by a man who demands that she comes with him, and it's all a little bit regressive. But I mean, this was like nineteen eighty-two, so I guess. If you look at it with a 1982 eye, it's not that bad. Second appearance of Charlotte the Harlot as well. Yeah. Three songs in total, though, right? Because yeah. she died in From Here to Eternity. So I, this is one that, 
looking back, I always remember liking The Prisoner better than 22 Acacia Avenue. And then in my re-listens just recently, I find that it's been flipped for me. Like I, I really like The Prisoner, but I think yeah. it's got that little bit of a dull stretch in the middle. And I find that 22 Acacia Avenue, while also could be a little bit shorter at, you know, six and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a bit of a lengthy one, isn't it? It it is. And that's not always a bad thing, as we'll see on the second half of this record. Yes. Uh, and this one it just I felt like they could have they could have took it out taken out like a little chunk in the middle. But then to go back, and I think it's funny because this is a song about a whorehouse. And I remember, you know, again, kind of being titillated by that, whispering about that when you're 15 or 16. But to go back to what we were saying before, how they tell these story songs, and I feel like if any other metal band of the era is singing about a whorehouse, it's a very different song than what you get from Iron Maiden. And yeah. somehow much less controversial. Now, of course, Listening to it now, just, you know, with the, you know, you abuse her and there's a few, there are some dodgy lines in this one. That is for sure. Yeah. Uh, looking at it from 2020, because it comes across as almost like, oh, this is a, just an old story that they're retelling. It's not like, you know, if Guns N' Roses are going to sing about a whorehouse, that's a different song. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like if it was Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, they'd be at the whorehouse and they'd be just fucking everyone in sight. Whereas this is, there's a bit more morality to it. Definitely. Yeah. And just interesting. Now, of course, they didn't totally survive the whole sting of that, as we'll see when we get to the second side. But I, I think that one of the things that they, I think that that really they their lyrics keep people at a distance because it's a story. Like you don't feel like you know anything about Iron Maiden from their yeah. song, and which is is fine because you know they're a band that's been around for a long time and and have put out some really really high quality stuff. So I don't mean that as an as an insult, but I just think it's funny that a song like this probably got way less um, you know, scrutiny than any, any other band would have gotten. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there. Just, yeah, because of the storytelling aspect of it. They're not, not condoning it. It's more like a, like a Ken Loach movie or something like that, isn't it? It's just like, this is a thing that happened to this woman. Exactly, yeah. And we're just, we're just telling the tale. You know, it's not even, we're not even the ones in there. We're just telling you about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, not like lascivious and unsettling and unpleasant. Is it? It's just like this is a this is a thing. Here's a story. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, in, until the till the end. And there's like I said, there are a couple of lines that uh, I'm, I'm sure they would have written differently today, even if they were to approach the song kind of in a, in a very similar way. I think uh, some of those lines would have been a bit different. Yes, yeah, I think so too. That brings us to the end of side one of The Number of the Beast from Iron Maiden on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Ian Clark. We mentioned at the top of the show that you are involved in two podcasts on a regular basis. We dig music and then free with this month's issue. For this episode, we're going to talk a bit more about We Dig Music, and this is where you uh, discuss bands alphabetically. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit more about this. The idea of it is each episode... Like it goes through alphabetically, and then we'll pick two bands per, and it will be a smaller band and a large band. So we do it like it, like it's a gig. You know, we'll talk about the smaller band first, and then the the large or headlining band. We have been working through the alphabet. We're in our third run through, and we are running out of bands that fit with letters that are worth talking about now. <laughs> so. We will be diversifying and just, you know, we're doing some one-off specials. We'll like pick a year and each of us will pick 10 songs from that year and talk about them. Uh, we'll do some producer specials and things like that. 
record label specials as well. It's all very exciting. And how long have you been doing this now? Uh, crikey, probably about three years now, I think. Yeah, because we're into the third season and we do the alphabet basically once it'll run over the course of a year. So, yeah. What was the impetus to get this started? Um, I've been friends with Colin, who's my, one of the co-presenters for longer than I care to mention. <laughs> and he just sent me a message one day going, hey, do you want to do a podcast? This is my idea. Um, I'm going to get my friend Tracy to do it. I, I know Tracy as well. And I was like, you know, that sounds awesome. Yes. And we've got very, like Tracy is very folky, Americanery, uh, Indian goth and stuff like that. And I'm coming from a slightly more metal, um, hip hop kind of direction. And then Colin's somewhere in the middle. And it's like we play off each other quite well. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And if you enjoy talking about music, maybe you'll enjoy listening to people talking about music. Maybe. And who chooses the bands? Do you guys do, do you take turns with that? Or is it uh, by committee? Or does somebody just say, hey, these are the two bands we're talking about, suck it up? You know, what's the, um, what's the process? Back in the day, when we first started, we all constructed a alphabetical list and we each did a, a full episode's worth of bands. And then we just mixed it up. So Colin is the de facto leader of this, as it was his idea. And he'll just be like, these two bands next time. And if either of us have got, like me or Tracy, have got a proper objection, we'll be like, no, those two don't fit together. Because we're running out of bands now, we're being a little bit more picky about the the opening band, as it were, because, you know, some bands, you just run out of shit to say about three sentences in, and then it's just one of us going. <laughs> so, like, these bands, they're, they're cool, right? And we're like, yeah, they're cool. Or no, I think they fucking suck, and that'll be it. <laughs> so, in order to keep it interesting, we're being a lot more picky now, and I think that's going to lead to some even more exciting episodes. We've got a lot of the bands that I hate out of the way, which is cool. Now it's all uphill for me. Positive. Talked about Oasis. Got to say the c word about Liam Gallagher about thirty times over the course of that episode. Awesome. That does sound awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I dislike that man intensely, so it was good to be able to swear and get that off my chest. Sure. Therapeutic, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, often I get to talk about bands that I really like, and I'm super passionate about them as well. So it's not all just me being negative about things. It's often me being super enthusiastic about things. And that's fun, but there, there is the case, a case to be made about occasionally just, you know, bad-mouthing the shit out of somebody. That's, that, there's, there's, a, there's some fun to be had with that, especially when, yeah, it's, yeah. More, especially when it's something that, that's like deep. Like, I deeply hate Bono. <laughs> and to be able yeah. to talk about that, it'd be nice sometimes, but, you know. We did, we did do a YouTube episode, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Bono got called many, many names. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So where can uh, where can people find We Dig Music? We are reachable on there's We Dig Podcasts. Uh, I think it's dot com. Hang on, feverishly typing away because I should fucking research this bit. Yes, We Dig dot com is where you can find uh, all of the episode listings, links to everything as well. We're on Spotify. We're on. Basically, every single podcast client we could possibly be on because we are podcast client whores and we just throw ourselves everywhere. 
and beg people to listen to us because it's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm, I hope uh, I hope the audience searches you out. So I've been able to to take in a couple. So I I, I listen to you through Spotify and. It's uh, it's fun and um, and the nice thing if you have to switch up your format a little bit at least what you do the fact that it's alphabetical is not in the name of the show so you wouldn't yeah. have to you wouldn't have to change the name of the show so it's not like we dig music A to Z just we dig music so as long as we're talking about music that one of the three of us digs we're on brand yep which is good it is and now a word from one of our friends. What's up, people? My name is Sean, and I'm the host of You're Not Listening, a podcast where we teach you how to actively listen to music one song at a time. Every episode, I sit down with my father, who was a mobile DJ for over 35 years, and we each bring a song to the table and talk about what makes it great, why you should listen to it, and why you should appreciate it through detailed analysis of the words and music, some personal stories that we might have with that, and hopefully will help you change your mind and get you listening to music in a little bit different way so you get a little bit more out of it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. If you love music and you want to figure out how you can love it even more, maybe even learn how to appreciate a song that you think you hate, it's You're Not Listening, a music podcast. Check it out. Thanks, everyone. Let's get back to the show. Let's flip this bad boy over. Track five, The Number of the Beast. Once again, it opens up with uh, the the spoken word, and it's you know biblical and creepy and super cool. <laughs> and even though once again they're they're singing from this you know perspective, this is a song that got them into a little bit of trouble in the states because you know because of our Puritans, uh, yeah. along with the album cover uh, where you have uh, you know Eddie and the devil, and then Eddie again and. Of course, I was told it was, oh, that's a teen, you know, so it's Eddie ruling the devil, ruling a teenager. Who is you? And blah, blah, blah. So this is always one, mainly because of the cover in this song, that there was uh, some controversy. I don't know if there was as much controversy in England, you know, in America, it was a thing, but because, you know, we're Americans. Um, There was a little bit, but not a lot. There were, I remember seeing an interview, it was like one of their compilation videos that they had, like live videos and stuff like that. And there was a bit from one of their, their manager talking about how he'd taken, you know, there were like a number of things, weird, spooky things that happened when they were recording the album. And he took his car to be repaired and they gave him the receipt and it was like £666. And he's like, no, I'm not paying that. I will pay more or will pay less. Like I'll buy something from you so that it doesn't come to that. Not having that. And they were like, yeah, okay, cool. So, yeah, <laughs> I think maybe the the satanic panic got even within the band while they were doing it. It's a it's a bold move to have this as the opener of the like side two rather than the opener of the record. Like this is such a fucking good opener. I agree. Yeah, and I was thinking that if you were to switch Number of the Beast with Invaders. I don't think that hurts this album at all. And if anything, it may even make it a little bit better because <laughs> uh, yep. invaders is a, is a, a good lead off track. And I would think would actually be a better lead off track for side two. 
uh, and just, you know, with the, the spooky voice and just the, you know, you, you put the needle down on that, you know, back in 82 and you're like, what is going on here? Uh, you would absolutely and, shit yourself, wouldn't you? Like, you'd be yeah. Like, what the fuck have I bought? This is amazing. <laughs> we don't need to play this one backwards to upset my parents. It's terrifying forwards. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Track six, Run to the Hills. So this is one of uh, two singles off the album, and I think this was their their highest charting song for a long time, if I remember correctly. Uh, what do you think about this one? This is one of those ones where the guitar intro is so iconic. Everyone that picks up a guitar and is into metal is like, I'm going to learn Run to the Hills. And it's really difficult. It sounds like it isn't, but it is. I've never done it properly. It always sounds like someone strangling a fucking cat when I play it, and I'm <laughs> not a bad guitarist. It's not my inability. It's just a surprisingly difficult song to play the intro to. But yeah, I, I was thinking when you suggested swapping Number of the Beast with Invaders, like thematically, Invaders and Run to the Hills run into each other because they are just both about invading forces, slaughtering the the locals. Although, you know, in this one, it's the... English invading and slaughtering the Native Americans, which is questionable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he, but again, from a storytelling perspective, so it's okay, and it's told from both perspectives. I was going to say, yeah. So he he mixes the the perspective. So every once in a while, you're like, whoa, what's going on? And then you realize, okay, so that this part's them and this part's them, and and I think that's pretty cool. And uh, you know, also allows them to get away with things like saying redskins or engine. You know, the only good engines are dead. You know, which is something I think normally you. Well, then you may have been able to get away with it because you could say pretty much whatever you would want in a metal song. But I think there would be a little more uh, pushback these days to that. But again, because it's from that storytelling perspective and the invaders here are clearly painted as the bad guys, you know, talking about, you know, women and children, a coward's attack. Uh, so they're they're not brushing it aside or under the carpet or anything like that, saying no, you know, how they feel about it. Yeah. They're just, you know, yeah, this was bad. Steve Harrison is history book again, isn't it? Like Steve yeah. Harrison. Loves to write about history. And he does it well. Man, this song is so good. This is yeah. such a great song. Uh, like I said, that guitar intro and the drums on this. I know that a lot of people prefer the drummer that will come later because this is obviously, as I mentioned at the top, the, the last time we would see Clive in this band. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Nico McBrain is, I think he's still in the band, isn't he? He, he still is, yeah. Like the lineup, other than... The whole Yannick Gers, Adrian Smith thing, the lineup has been solid. Oh, and obviously, you know, Dickinson. But yeah, <laughs> I've just made a point and contradicted myself. But yes, I, I, I think Clive Burr was super underrated. I, I listened to the album just before recording this, and he's fucking great. He's got, he's got some chops. He's got some style. I think he makes this album. The interplay between him and Steve Harris is what I was really, really drawn to when I listened back to it again. And his fills on this song oh, are just so, so great. Just that the way he goes at those toms is fantastic. And 
Yeah. Uh, just knowing that he was kicked out of the band shortly thereafter. And then, so I, I was actually paying attention to the drums because um, some friends who do another podcast called Play Disc, they talked about the album that came after. So they, they talked about Peace of Mind. One of the things that they had said was they felt that the, the replacement of Nico McBrain was the best thing that happened to Iron Maiden which I've never heard anybody say that before, because usually it's it's centered around Bruce Dickinson and his, yeah, his voice. It's and, 100% Dickinson. Yeah. So I was really paying closer attention to the drums than I probably otherwise would have. And yeah. I think the drums are great on this record. And it sounded like more just a personality conflict between him and Steve Harris is why he ended up leaving the band. Yeah, I think uh, so. And his his skills are definitely on display for Run to the Hills. It is It is great. Yeah. And then speaking of Clive, uh, Gangland. This is his only songwriting credit for Iron Maiden ever, as far as I know. I always remembered this one being a little bit more filler. Uh, you yeah. know, if you're gonna, you know, kind of burying it second to last song, as I've joked a million times in the show, that you know, if your favorite song on on the album is track nine out of ten, the band disagrees with you. There are obviously exceptions to that, but this is where if you if you just you want you're filling it out. But this song is better than I remembered it being. And yeah, I know, I, when I was looking at the track list, I'm like, I don't remember Gangland at all. Yeah. And then I, I put it on. I was like, no, I do. I'm fucking word perfect on this. Like, I know it. It's it's ingrained in my skull. I'd just forgotten it was called Gangland. So the whole Dead Man Tell No Tales. And, you know, this, is, this album is eight tracks long. There's nowhere to hide. I don't think you need filler when, you only, when you're only putting out eight tracks. Not and, at all. Yeah, and, and really, other than, you know, so the, obviously the last two songs on side one were a little bit long, but not crazy long. Yeah. Uh, and then everything's pretty short up here. So, um, you know, why, why they went with eight songs at the time, who knows? Maybe that was just all they were contractually <laughs> required Maybe. to do. I mean, it's short and sweet. It doesn't, it doesn't outstay as welcome as an album, does it? It's, it's concise. And yeah, like you say, there's, there's no real filler. No, and so this is a song I think that's aged a lot better because I just remember this one, eh, you know, it was like, ah, I was okay. But I think it's just because it's sandwiched between two all-time great songs. That was, that's that it's, it. Like, it's the weakest song on this side by a margin, but it's yeah. still an amazing song. So that was a, a pleasant surprise for me to to see how much I actually enjoyed Gangland. Because there's a couple of things on Peace of Mind. Um, it's like, a, you know, To Tame a Land is like, eh, it's... Eh, you know okay yeah uh, so that leads us to our final track hallowed be thy name What do you think about this one? My God, this is an absolute stone cold, undeniable masterpiece, isn't it? Every oh, God, single yes. thing about this is 
fucking perfect. This is my yeah. favorite song by Iron Maiden, period. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you there. Like, I go back and forth, but I think if you put this on, I'd be like, yeah, no, this is it. This is it. Hallowed Be The Name is just, like, it's, it's the quintessential Maiden song. It starts beautifully. It builds. It builds. And it's like, the, then the pace picks up. It's just, oh, my God. Just so good. And his vocal performance is just, I mean, I don't even, I don't know what to say. I have no words because he, it's so good. I mean, you, you can feel the panic when he's panicking and you can feel the anger when he's angry. And yeah, uh, it's such an emotive vocal performance on this. I'm all like, cause it starts, you know, in a really like chesty kind of range. Like I've, I've been listening to it in my car, driving along and been like, I can sing this. <laughs> I can this. And six minutes later i'm like oh fuck i'm not even going to be able to talk for the next week because i've totally blown my throat out singing along to this so there's notes there and you're like i reckon i could no i can't no i can't i can't i can't do that i can't even hit that note let alone with the amount of force and passion that he does it it's insane yeah when he when it takes off because he starts to go and then you're thinking all right that's where it's going to stop and then he kicks it up like another gear it's like what it's so cool so great and the yep. riff on this one is just i mean it's so good that who who stole this riff was it disturbed somebody stole this riff in the in the 2000s oh god uh, yeah um uh papa roach was it's it papa roach. Door, isn't it i don't i just remember i yeah. i heard something on the radio and i was like that's hollowed be thy name. And I don't remember because I didn't really listen to, to most of that stuff. So it was one, one of those bands ripped the song off big time uh, or yeah. the riff anyway. But yeah, so just the way, you know, again, a story song. And this is, uh, this is almost like a song that you could hear, not vocally, obviously, but uh, thematically, like Johnny Cash could have covered this song at some point, you know, because uh, talking about the, the condemned prisoner it was in his wheelhouse and just the, it takes you through the to, through the paces so you know it's it opens with him in the in the cold cell and he's waiting for for his time and and then when this starts i mean just the this is the band firing on all cylinders this is like everything that iron maiden does well is in this song like i i tend to complain about longer songs i will never complain about how long this song is you know even though it tops seven minutes i think it uses every second of that time that running time well there's no yeah. complaints for me about about how long this one is and i always no. complain about the long song <laughs> uh, it's like it's like one of those films that you put it on and then you're like that was three hours long no way <laughs> yeah because it doesn't it, this one doesn't feel like it and it just uh, doesn't feel like it's that long and it's just moving you through those paces and just just everything this is just when it all all comes together and and makes yeah. such a defining statement right here at the end of you know Iron Maiden version 2.0 let's say so new singer uh slightly new direction here what are we going to do uh this is what we're going to do we're going to fucking melt your face off with this 7 minute 8 second long song right here at the end i think if you went into the album cynical and you weren't quite convinced and then it hit that and you weren't like yeah, this is the fucking best thing they've done. You'd be an idiot, basically. Yeah, well, if you weren't convinced by this one, then you're just not going to be convinced. That's no. that's just it. So this is, uh, yeah, this is this is a Stone Cold classic on an album with you know this is if you really take away Gangland, this is just the 
this is just stone cold classic after stone cold <laughs> classic essentially well, they, uh, they've done albums where you could put gangland on it with a standout track you know it's it's just because this album is so fucking strong that we're looking at gangland and going this is not the best song like it's still great yeah because uh, yeah at the time i was like nah. but now i just listen back and it's like I, it's like a fucking compilation it's like a greatest hits album because they're all just good it's insane how high the quality is throughout this album yeah you know bands like that third album there's something to be said about that so if you're going to have your hopefully good debut and then maybe your software sophomore slump yeah. uh and then you know maybe you put everything together which you know a little bit of a stereotype but i think you know you, you look at it a ton of just album threes tend to be great if the, if the band's going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's where it's at, isn't it? Third album. Um, yeah. Master of Puppets. Was Master of Puppets Metallica's third album? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, absolute masterpiece again, isn't it? So yeah, you're right. Third album. Yeah. There's something to be said about them. So, I mean, that, you know, I, I don't think, cause I, I really, I love ride the lightning, so I'm not going to complain about the you know, album two <laughs> from them, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, master of puppets is fantastic. Or even look like, you know, Tom Petty's damn the torpedoes was his third album. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times that, yeah, you, you know what you're doing at that point. You've, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Crikey, the fragile by Nine Inch Nails, that was their third album as well. Wasn't it? It's like a double album full of, utter genius so yeah third albums that's a you know when you when you guys run out of uh your alphabet that that that's one thing to look at third albums so yes little, little tip from me to you so <laughs> uh what are your final thoughts on this album i know we've kind of been final thoughting for a few seconds there but uh, what do you think yeah. if you want to put it together i just i picked an iron maiden album because i was like yeah i can happily you know i've got fond memories of this i can definitely talk about this and then i put it on after we agreed to do it. And I was like, you know, this is just fucking great. I do fucking love this. I really fucking love this album. It's all good. You know, questionable lyrics aside, I, I could just happily put this on at any point in time and listen to it. I mean, Hallowed Be The Name Live is bordering on a religious experience if you see it, you know. Yeah. Like, everyone singing along. It's so fucking emotional. So, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm almost lost for words. I'm I'm been talking about the album. I'm so hyped up about how excited I am about it. I'm I'm just almost lost for words about yeah. You, you know, I basically am, aren't I? I'm just talking dribble. <laughs> I'll go ahead and jump in there. So uh, once again. Yeah, uh, this was an album that we decided on because, you know, looking at the original wish list, there wasn't anything uh, that you felt like you could connect to. And so then you sent me a list. And so then I looked at that list. And I'm like, yep, I, I want to do this. I want to do The Number of the Beast. And I'm sure I've listened to it. It's not like I haven't listened to this since high school or anything. I have listened to it since, but just not a lot. I don't listen to a lot of uh, old heavy metal these days. And, and when I do, it's on vinyl with a beer, you know, right before I go to bed kind of thing. And so revisiting this one, of course, you're like, you suggested it. So I listened to it once just to make sure I still loved it. And I was like, man, this is still just a, a fucking classic. This is a stone classic. So um, it's been a lot of fun. And it's one of those, it didn't doesn't bring back a lot of nostalgia because I didn't listen to a ton of Iron Maiden at the time. So yeah. I've had done at the uh, beginning of season one, I did a couple. So I did the, the first Danzig record and I did something else. Um, and the Faith No More record. 
which really brought back a lot of nostalgia for me. Yeah. Uh, and this one was more like a little more generalized. So it was just, I, I remembered more like being 16, a 16 year old headbanger as opposed to specifically listening to this record. Uh, even though there's been a few, there were little flashes and remembering that concert and that kind of thing. So it's been a, a lot of fun uh, revisiting this one. And I appreciate that uh, you suggested this one and looking forward to the next show that we do on something a little bit newer. I would like to uh, have all my listeners to once again, if you uh, want to listen to t some people talk about music alphabetically, and that's important. Mm. Let's be honest. It's important to do it alphabetically. Uh, yeah. You need to check out the We Dig Music if you are sticking around here, if you've made it this far, why don't you leave me a review? Supposedly, reviews help other people find it. And, you know, you should do that for me because I'm doing this for you. All right? Yeah, and then you should go and... I know we've already plugged it, but just go listen to my shows, damn it. Yes. I put a lot of effort into this. Yes. And also, even though we didn't talk about it this time, we'll talk about it next time, free with this month's issue. You should check that one out as well. And I'm sure there's a description, which will... It's also a music podcast. So yes. you should uh, you should listen to that one. So, Ian, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, have a little chat with me about this 1982 classic, and we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. I'll see, speak to you soon, yeah. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks, as always, to original patron, Mark Evers.